Well, as I shared with you, we're in 1 Samuel. This is the second sermon in this series. Last week, we started with a woman who was pleading before God for a son. She's barren. She has no way of making herself pregnant. She's being attacked continually by a rival, and her heart is broken, and so she goes before the Lord. She prays honestly and specifically to God for a son, and now the Lord has answered her prayer. The challenge is, in her prayer, she made a vow to the Lord that if he would answer her prayer, she would give her son to the Lord all the days of his life. Well, God has answered her prayer. Now what is she going to do? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. And so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked, they shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
God is always doing more than we can see. I want you just to pause and think about that for a minute. And I want you to take a deep breath. God is always doing more than we can see. This morning, you enter into this sanctuary the same way you do every Sunday, just like me, with parts of your life that are very heavy and very hard. And then there are seasons in your life and in my life when those things are so heavy and so hard that we really do experience a moment like Hannah's in, where she knows that she's helpless. She knows that there's nothing she can do to change the circumstances of her life. God's starting point is our total inability. God's starting point, his tendency, is to use our total inability to move in such a way where he receives glory because he does a rescue that only he could do. And so the people that you just shook hands with, those you greeted when you got here, those sitting a distance from you, me included, we come every time with this reality that this side of heaven, there are situations and circumstances in our life that are so overwhelming and they expose our helplessness. In 1994, in the fall, 95, my wife spoke to me and said, I think it's time for us to start a family. I said, no, I don't think it's time. I just finished my first year of seminary. It makes no sense. She had a deep fear that she was never going to get pregnant because of her body and some of the signs in her body that would lead a woman to believe that. After time, the Lord revealed to me through prayer and counsel that it is time. And so we went in that direction and nothing happened. Her fear was seemingly going to be true. She went to a doctor. The doctor began to work with her. And what was supposed to happen after the doctor worked with her didn't. So he called her back in and he said, there's a reason it didn't work. You're already pregnant. <laughs> Thank you, Father. How far along? We don't know. We need to take a look. So there I was introduced to an ultrasound machine where we can see what's going on in ways we couldn't see before. And I couldn't wait to see whatever it was I was going to see. I'd never seen this before. And I watched, and she watched, and there was nothing there. Nothing. And so the doctor said, you're pregnant, or you're in the midst of a miscarriage. But if you're pregnant, you're so barely pregnant that we can't see anything yet. And the only way we're going to be able to know is if we wait two weeks and then look again. That was the first time in my life 
though I was a seminary student being trained for gospel ministry, the first time I realized I'm not in control. It was the first time I realized that there was nothing I could do to make that which I couldn't see be seen. I asked the doctor, what are we looking for? He said, a little white mass that's going to be flickering. Why is it flickering? Because that would be the heart. Two weeks, and many of you have been through these trials, it was very hard. Because I had to confess I'm not in control. There's nothing I can do to make my wife bring whatever's going on inside her to completion. Nothing. More, more than that, I can't actually even make her feel better. I can just pray and, and be with her. I'm not in control. Two weeks went by. We went to the office. We entered in. The ultrasound screen turned on. And there was a little flickering heart. A child that would be born on June 17th, 1996. My wife wept. I wept. Our doctor actually wept. Some of you have never had that experience. You still live in the horror of, I can't get pregnant. And that, that pain is unbearable. It's amazing. God is doing stuff behind the scenes, always. He's always doing more than we can see. Hannah takes her burden and goes honestly to the Lord. And as she speaks honestly to the Lord about the heartache that she's experiencing, she begs the Lord to give her a son. And in this case, in this moment in the history of redemption, in this fellowship of barrenness that she's a part of, God is going to do what he doesn't always do. He's going to answer her prayer in a very specific way, causing her to have a son. She makes a vow to the Lord if he'll answer this prayer this way, that she will give her son to the Lord. And now, as the Lord has answered her prayer, she is going to go forward with that vow. And that's amazing. Hannah, we're told, her husband went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice. But Hannah, this is verse 22, did not go for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Now in this time period, weaning a child would take perhaps three years. So it's not six months, it's not 12 months, it's three years. But that means he's three years old. The child that you have been longing for, praying for, asking for, the one that you've been given with no necessary guarantee that there will be more is now at your breast. And he's getting bigger. And he's healthy. And he's getting stronger. And then you remember the day he was born. And two years later, you remember the day he was born. And three years later, you remember the day he was born. And you know now is the normal time for this little boy Samuel to be weaned. And now is the time that I need to fulfill the vow that God heard me say to him, and I need to take this child and I need to do what the Lord heard me say I would do. And she does it. We struggled last week or two weeks ago 
as many of you do, to drop our child off at college after 19 years of her being with us. Some of you wept as you dropped your child off at kindergarten. We do that. She's dropping her three-year-old off for good. Literally, for good. Because behind the scenes, God is doing something that she couldn't see. Behind the scenes, God just wasn't answering a prayer for her who couldn't conceive to suddenly conceive. He was going to create inside her womb a man that would be used by God to usher in the kingdom. Moving from one type to another. Hannah goes. Verse 27, verse 26, let's go there. She says, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, and she's talking to Eli, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Four times in those two verses, in the Hebrew, it's very hard to translate. She uses this phrase, to ask. She's saying to Eli, this is the one I asked for. 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 And God heard her prayer. Verse 28, therefore I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And then in chapter two, we have Hannah's second prayer. And Hannah's second prayer I think, is the key to understanding how she could fulfill her vow to take her son to Eli. It's interesting in her prayer, which is considered a song, Hannah never once speaks of Samuel. You see, Hannah had an understanding about God, about his grace, about his glory that really did overwhelm her soul. And so when you look at the prayer, this is her second prayer. This is essentially the, the prayer that's being recorded in response to taking her son as the Lord had answered that prayer. It's broken into three parts. The first two verses are centered on a personal response. That's why you see the personal pronouns like my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted, my mouth, I rejoice. The first part of this prayer is very personal. What she's saying is there is none like the Lord, there's none beside you, there is no rock like our God. And I have a personal experience with that. Father, time and time again, I brought before you the burden of my heart. You've answered my prayer. But even while I waited for you to answer in a specific way, you were holy. You were the rock. There is none beside you. The second part of the prayer is recorded in verses 4 through 8. And what's happening there is Hannah is essentially saying, the way you dealt with me specifically is the way you are dealing with your people generally. The way you've dealt with me specifically is seen here in the way the Lord delivers his people generally. And then the last part of our prayer, verses 9 and 10, speaks about the future. It actually speaks about the future of the coming kingdom. 
the fulfillment of what this all is about. Verse 10 says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She goes from the personal to the general to the future promise, the fulfillment of this kingdom. And here, she's never served a king. Israel doesn't have one yet. She speaks prophetically about a king that is going to be anointed. That's amazing. You see, the reason Hannah was able to follow through with the vow that she made to the Lord when he answered her prayer was because of her view of God. Her view of God is seen most clearly in verse 2 when she says, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. If you're paying attention, that section, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, were our call to worship today. And from that call to worship, we sang, holy, holy, holy. And we sang about a hope that is built on nothing less. You enter this place today, like me, and you have a personal encounter with the living God because you need him. There's something going on in your life or more than one thing going on in your life that has taken you to a place of helplessness where you are able to say, I have total inability to fix this. It could be an emotion that you're experiencing. It could be a relationship at work. You could be like Hannah and your heart is broken. Or you could be like many parents who actually bring children into this world, but then they see the child drift. And as they watch the destruction unfold, it suddenly dawns on them, there's nothing I can do to change that person. God's starting point is our total inability. And helplessness is our greatest prayer. Because when we understand who God is, as Hannah did, we begin to see that there's more happening behind the scenes than we're able to see. One of the reasons we feel so helpless and so unable is because we can't see what's going on. We don't know how an individual's thinking. In our marriages, we get sideways and we realize we can't control our spouse. At work, we're in relationships with people where things go sideways and we realize we can't control them. And the Lord takes us to a place where he, in profound ways, reveals his ability, where he reveals his power, where he reveals his goodness. And that's how Hannah started her prayer. You're holy, 
There is none beside you. You alone are the rock. When you trace Hannah's prayer, you see that it begins very personal. Then you see that it becomes very corporate, very general. And then you see that it becomes extremely futuristic. I want to close with that part. Del Ralph Davis, I love his commentary on 1 Samuel, says this. Speaking not of Hannah, but to you and me. Every time God lifts you out of the miry bog, referencing Psalm 40 here, and every time he sets your feet up on a rock, this is a sample of the coming of the kingdom of God, a down payment of the full deliverance. What does he mean? Whatever circumstance you find yourself in today that takes you to a place where you're able to say, I really am helpless. I have total inability here. You have an opportunity to lean on or step towards another rock or the opportunity to be lifted out of the miry bog by the one who is the rock. The one who will place your foot firmly upon himself. The challenge for us is we don't like helplessness. The challenge for us is that we don't like to admit total inability. God knows that. And circumstances come into our lives because of this fallen and broken world that takes us to those places. When suddenly we're looking at our life wondering how did we get here? How did this happen? I didn't see this coming. Behind the scenes, God is always doing more than we can, we can see. So in those moments, and we're all going to have them, we have the opportunity to do what Hannah did. To be honest. The moral of the story, though, isn't that we should walk away making a vow to God and lifting Hannah up as if she's the hero. The powerful truth of this story is it's because God's vow to her that she was ever able to make the vow she made to him and even more to keep the vow. Hannah's view of God enabled her to surrender her, her son. So we come to a table. And I want you just to be still for just a minute. We come to a table that reveals so much to us. Namely, the heart of God. This series in 1 Samuel is called The Heart of the Kings. And it's going to take us to a place where we look at Saul's heart and we look at David's heart just as we're looking at Hannah's heart and Samuel's to come. But the ultimate purpose is to look at the heart of God.
And whenever you're in this life going through a hard circumstance and you can't see clearly on the screen what God is doing and it looks like nothing is there, remember this. He has given us his holy word to open. And when we open his holy word, what we actually see is the heartbeat of God for us. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, that God's heart is flickering, it's beating strong. And what he's telling us from the beginning to the end is, I am with you. I will never forsake you. I am leading you. I alone am holy. There is none besides me. I alone am the rock. And when we trust the Lord for those words, like Hannah, we can step up and step out and begin to experience the peace that only God can bring. But remember this as you come. It is very personal, and that's okay. But it's not to be just personal. It's also corporate. So what you are experiencing personally, this body experiences too. And what that is, is the right view of God. That he's doing right now, even in the distribution of these elements, more than we can see. God always is doing more than we can see. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to come to the table, I ask that you would draw each of us to you. Lord, this table is your table. It's not a Presbyterian table. But it is a table for believers, those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, if there are those in our midst this day that know they have not placed their faith in you, would you draw them to yourself even now? If they reject you, Lord, at this moment, I pray that they would not come forward to eat and drink judgment on themselves, but would wait and listen and consider again the wonder of what it means to be your children. Lord, for all who are in Christ who come to eat this day, we pray that you would feed us, that you would bless us, that we would be made whole because of you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.